Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. Hi, so welcome. I, I'm, I'm curious, what's your definition of financial independence? Sure. Um, so before I discuss about financial independence, I'm Dr. Dewan Farhana. Um, I'll talk to you a little bit about my background, um, what got me interested in finance, and then I'll discuss more into um, financial independence. Um, so background-wise, I'm a physician by training. So um, right now, I currently work as a tech entrepreneur, and I advise startups and executives on finances, healthcare technology. Um, I'm also a mom of two. And something else that I'm passionate about is personal finance. So I did my undergrad at Rutgers University in New Jersey. I majored in cell bio and neuroscience. Um, I completed my medical degree at Toro College of Osteopathic Medicine in New York and Harlem. Um, I matched into PM&R and rehab medicine was my area of interest. Um, but interestingly, so I've always been a founder um, at heart. So in high school and college, I started a lot of organizations that I got a lot of recognition for. Um, in medical school, like during clinical rotations, um, you know, I noticed that um, there was a lot of printing that doctors were doing on patient information in their service every morning that was leading to a lot of confusion. So I designed and created a HIPAA compliance system to keep all of the patient information organized and correlated in a systematic way. And so the thing is, while growing up, I was generally interested in technology. I was raised in the generation where we used some of the first Apple computers, like the bright, colorful Apple computers um, and the PC computers. Um, we learned about things like hard drive and motherboard and took some C++ coding. But to be honest, I didn't quite understand the magnitude of the technology until I was in med school. And that's when I started using these products like Dropbox and Evernote. And I was like, wow, what are these products? They're literally like changing the world, you know? And so that's when I really understood like how software works, like where you can scale things to reach a million people within seconds, basically. And so right after I graduated medical school, um, I had the opportunity to work in a startup with a great co-founder. And since my husband was already living here in California, um, it was a really good opportunity for me. So I was the founder and CEO of Betterness. Uh, we were a software marketplace where we connected um, professional and certified organizers to the elderly, people with mental illness, and small businesses to certified organizers that help make space um, functional for productivity and utility. The organization is a $26 billion market. So we built out the search, the portfolios, payments, and everything, um, connecting the two sides. So I personally built the startup from the ground up. I developed the idea. I designed the UX UI experience, of course, communicated with software designers, like, you know, using things like balsamic software and things like that. Um, I grew it to gr um, strong growth and revenue and employees. Um, and then, of course, as a CEO, I had to pitch to investors on Sand Hill Road and Angel Networks. Um, so I raised venture funding from angel investors and um, Rutgers Business School. Um, and so the, the, the business was successful. And um, since this year, my husband and I have reached a good point in our financial journey. So that's why I've been focusing and devoting um, more time on talking about personal finance. So while working on the startup, um, this is where I started with the finance. Um, basically, I started learning about other startups because you're within the founder community. And that's when I learned about Wealthfront, which is a robo-advisor that does investing for you. And so I was really intrigued and I started learning about it. No one really taught me anything about compound interest or, um, you know, index funds before this. Um, you know, my thought was investing, risky, don't do it. Just save your money, call it a day. You know, like that's kind of what our parents also taught us. But in the process, you know, I discovered this 
entire world of index fund, low cost, broad based funds. And of course, there are also um, Muslim Muslim platforms as well, um, like Wahid and stuff like that, in addition to Wealthfront. And that's when I realized you can actually grow your wealth exponentially. And that's how I got started. So I refinanced my medical school loans. I set up life and disability insurance. We got our 529s ready for our kids, the Roth IRA and all of that. And so once I started understanding this information, um, that's when I started posting about it on social media. Back in 2017, I didn't make too many posts, but more recently, I've had the time and focus to do it. And so that's kind of where, so that's where the idea of the financial freedom. So your question is, you know, how do you define financial freedom? So basically, when you have financial independence, that is having freedom. So financial independence is freedom. And it's the freedom to change your career, you know, to basically follow a passion that you love. You can take a longer maternity leave. You can leave a toxic relationship. You can go on vacation. You can do whatever you want. But it's not like this fuzzy thing. There's actually a numerical formula that you can do to reach financial independence. And that's basically, you take the amount of annual expenses that you need and you divide it by 0.04. And that number is going to give you the number you need to reach financial independence. So let's say you need 100K a year. If you divide 100K by 0.04, that's 2.5 million. Once you have 2.5 million in your portfolio, you can basically relax and do whatever you want that you really want to pursue. And you can withdraw 4% per year and live off that until you're in retirement. So you don't have to wait until 67 or 69 to retire. You can retire early as long as you reach your financial independence number. Where is that uh, formula from? Uh, it's a well-known formula. I think um, you, uh, you can either use Vanguard or basically, you know, Nerd Wallet. Like, um, it's the general well-known numerical formula for um, basically quantifying your fi- financial independence number. So, I mean, a couple of things that you said, and it's interesting, right? When our parents, a lot of our parents' generation, they came here. I mean, the idea of investing in stocks was so I feel like foreign to them just because they wanted to just establish themselves first, right, and make mm-hmm. sure their children were doing okay, schools, you know, they were fed, you know, going to schools and things like that. But now we're our generation, you know, there we're, you know, kids that grew up here, went to school here, we have this opportunity, right? So people like that, uh, let's say, you know, didn't go to school for finance. What's a good, what's a good place for people to learn uh, about some of these concepts? Okay. So some of the best concepts, like, first of all, the best known is definitely um, Vanguard. Um, So first of all, they should, they can learn about um, John Bogle. Um, so he is actually um, very well known in the financial industry. He did his thesis at Princeton on um, what his thesis proved is that mutual fund managers in general don't outdo the index or the whole market. And so he was the first to start the first index fund to help basically the average person make money off of all of the market returns. So they can read about John Bogle and Vanguard. That is like the best you know, well-known brokerage account as far as index fund investing is concerned. Um, They can also read books like Millionaire Next Door. Um, That book kind of discusses like how the what they did a huge study on the number of millionaires in America. And they're usually your next door neighbors, like people, average people who are just living, you know, not keeping up with the Joneses, average home, average car, but they save aggressively. They invest aggressively in index funds. And that's how they reach their wealth. It's not the flashy stuff that you see. It's not people buying the newest Tesla. It's just your next door mom and pop you know, regular average people. Um, You can also read a book called The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins, who um, discusses in very, uh, very calm manner of like how to do the index fund investing. Um, And just basically continue learning, you know, question everything. I think, you know, what you were saying, you know, one of the things our parents really just, they're, they were just interested in saving, but they didn't, 
quite understand um, like how the investing portion works. Um, and that's like, I feel like one of um, the mistakes, like some of the financial mistakes that people in the Bengali community make, you know, is that people assume that, for example, just buying real estate is the only way to grow wealth, you know? Um, Oftentimes they also say buy whole life insurance. Um, they don't have a diversified portfolio or they're buying franchises without understanding, you know, what's going on in the franchises. Um, so just, you know, the, the thing to remember is that, um, so the most, the important concept to understand here is that there's a thing called inflation and inflation is something that your money, like as the years go, your money loses value. So if you leave say $1 million under your mattress, which I don't recommend, <laughs> you're losing value on it every day. So you need something to work against that to help you help your money retain its value and also grow. Uh, for someone who may not understand inflation, like if you think about like a gallon of milk, right? Like um, back when we came to America, my parents came in 91, a gallon of milk was like 115 or something. And now it's like 493 or something. That's called inflation, that with time prices go up. And so you have to invest your money in the market and when you do it through index funds, you a safe number to assume that you're going to get returns is a 6% return. So when you work against that inflation, that's how you get your returns. Now, the thing to remember, one thing to understand about the stock market is that, you know, the market historically over the 200 years that the stock market has been, it has always recovered and has always gone up. So that's why, and it's proven within the you know, last 200 years that it's always going to go up. And so that's why if you invest through index fund, something like an S&P 500 through Vanguard, you're investing in the entire of the stock market. So that's, you're not investing in one individual stock. When you try to invest in one individual stock, you're taking a huge risk, right? That stock can go up, that stock can go down. That's also like home. A home is like one individual stock. What the index fund offers is the index funds are a list of companies within an index. So the, so the VTSAX within the Vanguard is the entire set of companies within the United States, basically. So what you're doing is in that sense, you're lowering the risk by investing in all of the companies so that if one goes down, the other one's going up and the other one's going up, the other one's going down, you still make the full net average because the market always goes up. So the argument for someone that's like really young, let's say in their early 20s, um, the, 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 if I'm playing devil's advocate, they, they can say, listen, I'm really young. Um, I, you know, I can worry about that later. But right now in my early 20s, you know, I want to, I want to, um, I want to take advantage of some of the exponential growth in some of these uh, volatile stocks. I mean, let's say whatever you, whatever, whichever one you want to choose, even crypto or GameStop or any of these guys, right? I'd be missing out if I'm just putting out it, putting uh, everything in index, which is great for the long term, but not necessarily for the short term. So, what would you say to someone like that? So, sure. Um, the easy answer is um, most mutual fund managers, day traders, they will not outdo the market, and the sad truth is neither will you. Um, it's just the way it is. You can ask Warren Buffett. You can ask the usual people. Let me give you a really good example, like from the tech standpoint of view. This made a lot of sense to me, um, and I hope that it makes sense to you and a lot of people. When you think about venture capitalists, right? We know people that they raise money from LPs, which are called limited partners. So LPs are people that are super wealthy, like Bill Gates, endowment funds, and things like that. They raise money from LPs and they invest in startups. So the middleman is the venture capitalist. Their day job, day in, day in and day out, is to invest in really good companies. They're well-connected. They know all the top you know, founders. They know the Mark, Mark Zuckerbergs. They know the Elon Musks and everyone, okay? They invest in these companies. Yet, 90% of startups fail. 
And of the 10%, mm -hmm. very few return more than 1,000x and so on that's needed to even replenish their fund and actually make money. So if 90% of startups fail and venture capitalists who do this for a living day in and day out that are super connected with the network cannot get the returns, how can you as an individual person get these returns as a young teenager? So here is my suggestion. So I don't want to say like, you know, it shouldn't be a little exciting and fun, even though I don't think finances should be exciting, leave your excitement for vacation. Um, this is what I would say. Think about something like, it, yeah, it has to make logically sense. I can think about something like crypto. Crypto started in 2009, right? So that's only 12 years old. Something like Vanguard has been around for 40 years. Something like the stock market has been around for 200 years. So you actually have factual evidence showing people investing in Vanguard and in the stock market, like index funds, and they have retired successfully, right? Crypto, we haven't seen anyone retire successfully. So, and for those that don't know what crypto is, crypto is basically a new asset class where it's a type of currency. It's called a cryptocurrency. Bitcoin is like one example where basically you don't need banks or government. You use something called peer-to-peer -peer technology and what they call open source code on um, something called blockchain, which is basically miners mine this um, like um, blockchain to allow transactions happen to basically happen between two people. Um, and it doesn't include the bank. So the thing with um, crypto is that it's all based on speculation, right? Because we don't know anything. We're just betting on the fact that the US dollar of one Bitcoin is going to be worth more in the future. Now, it is very volatile. As you know, it goes up and down. Like sometimes it's all over the news, like it's right now. And then, you know, it crashes and no one talks about it. And then it goes back up and down. Um, we don't know what's going to happen. Like, let's say it becomes in mainstream. What are the governments going to do? Can they, you know, can they shut it all down? Maybe overnight your crypto may not be worth anything. So here's my suggestion for those young people. It's totally cool. I really like the fact that you're interested in finances but keep it in the small portion of your portfolio. So you say you have 100% of your portfolio, keep 90% in index funds, maybe a small percentage in real estate. 10% is what I call like play money. Do whatever yeah. you want. I myself have bought some um, Bitcoin and Ethereum because I wanted to learn about it. Yeah. Um, you know, it has gone up and down. To me personally, honestly, it's not even that exciting because I'm just like, um, I like things that are facts and that's going to like, I know that has worked, but you know, I do love learning about like all of this new technology. So keep 10% of your portfolio, look, invest in whatever you want, make it exciting, do GameStop, do crypto, no problem. The other 90% do it strictly in index funds. That's the yeah. best approach to take. Yeah, I think 10% is a good number. And I think that, but so I'm sure you have these conversations with people because I do is, uh, you know, cause I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not too bullish on crypto, but what happens is obviously the market's doing really well with crypto and, you know, I think Bitcoin's at 58,000 today. So you can't argue with that, that it's doing well. But, but, but then when you tell to people about common sense, some of the stuff that you said about long-term and, you know, the government eventually coming into it and, and implementing regulation and the argument comes back to, yeah, but look at what it's doing. Look at all these people making millions of dollars and literally making, becoming billionaires overnight. So it's really tough to talk to these people when they're showing these Figures in front, you know, in front of you, like that, that are where people are actually making millions and millions of dollars, right? Well, it's, but I think that I think that yeah, the other point I think what you made is that it's such a small percentage um, uh, of some of these financial institutions that are that are in crypto, right? Like for example, Mass Mutual, I think, put in 150 million dollars into Bitcoin, and um, I was having a conversation with my friend about this. Mass Mutual has 150 million dollars. 150 million dollars is literally 0.04 percent of Mass Mutual's. Exactly. That's under right. management. So I think if you really program. if you really think about it, so point uh, one hundred fifty million dollars to Mass Mutual is like ten dollars to me. 
So yeah. they're they're really not putting in uh, an extreme amount of money. All these you funds, even yeah, people are want, even like, have play people money, are putting yeah. their life funds in. While as you can see, yeah, even these huge institutions are only putting a small portion of their you know diversified portfolio. But I think you and I are on the same page. But it's it's so difficult, right, to talk to people when they're saying. Bitcoin every day breaking records and they're seeing some of their Ooh, friends making like, making like, you know, people too, right? Because people are making real money. Like I've seen people, people send screenshots of their portfolio, you know, they put in 10,000, you know, two years ago and, and now there's the like 60,000, right? Money are going to post it. The people that are losing yeah. are, not, are not posting anything. Yeah, so that's the course, whole like social media and media effect is like yeah. everything that's winning is glorified, everything that's losing. And that's the point about like how yeah. 90% of the startups, like how many, can you name me the top 10 startups that failed? Rarely, right? Yeah. Or, or like even the middle, but can, you can tell me the top 10 that succeeded, right? Google, Apple, Netflix, you know, all of those, because only the successful ones get into the media. Um, yeah, I mean, we can talk about anything, like whether it's crypto, we can talk about GameStop, we can talk about Tesla, like things are going to go up, things are going to go down. But here's my thing. If you don't know about index funds, if you don't know about things like ETF and mutual funds and all of those, and you know everything about Bitcoin, Forex, you know, Dogecoin, then then there's a disconnect there. Like you have to get yourself on the information, know everything. If you are like, if you understand all of this, you understand index funds, you understand what I call the baseline. Like you understand the market returns at 6%. As soon as you understand that, everything is going to make sense because you can make every single decision. Like that's how my husband and I have done it. It's not that we had anyone tell us, like our parents are not into this at all. (laughs) They're not into investing. You know, um, we learn it because we use math, simple calculator, simple Excel sheet. If you put the numbers into a calculator and Excel sheet, you'll be able to see the answers. And so make yourself knowledge about all of this. I don't mind that, you know, people are interested in crypto and Bitcoin and stuff. It's cool. It's exciting. Why not? But don't lose a bigger picture. You know, um, it's so, it's so important to understand all aspects of it before you make a move because you can really get burned if you're putting all of your allocation into Bitcoin and then it crashes, you know, overnight. Yeah, I feel like we could talk about crypto all day, but I feel like, so I want to talk about what you mentioned earlier about the about whole life insurance. Talk about that. What, what, are, what are some mistakes uh, that Bengalis are making with whole, whole sure, life sure. insurance? So whole life insurance is a, definitely a big mistake um, that Bengali people, but not Bengali people, basically all people. It's funny because almost everything that I mentioned that applies to Bengali people actually applies to all people (laughs) because we're all people and um, whole life insurance. I mean, physicians, doctors, lawyers, everyone's like signs up for these whole life insurance. Basically, what whole life insurance does is it um, combines investing plus insurance. And what you should do is keep your investing and your insurance separate. So if you think about it, um, we, when we buy home insurance, when we buy car insurance, we don't also do this weird like investing where like returns generates this and that like from the market. No, keep your investing and your insurance separate. When it comes to life, get term life insurance. It's cheap. It basically means, God forbid, if you die and you have um, uh, uh, dependents and beneficiaries, they get a payout. Otherwise, do your investing yourself. What these whole life insurance companies do is that they take your money, they make a pay up front, especially even the first year of all the fees that you pay go straight to the salesperson's pocket. So even if your uncle, you know, Ahmed is selling you this whole life insurance, the first year that you pay into whole life insurance is going into his pocket. Afterwards, between they collect fees and all these other things, 
that they take away basically from your investing amount. So the amount that you get at the end is much lower than if you just personally invested it yourself through a Vanguard VTSAX fund, which is the entire stock market. So you will get so much more returns if you do it yourself instead of having the insurance company do it for you and stealing and taking away basically a whole bunch of your returns. Yeah, it's interesting. So, and also I think uh, many people have life insurance from their work. So do you, do you, do you think it's, reasonable to to go out and get additional life insurance? Yeah. So you have to look at like how much, um, you know, insurance that you need. If there is a reasonable plan that your work offers, that's fine. But a lot of the times, like um, a lot of the job, like uh, a lot of the people that are buying individual um, life insurances, they're paying like 100, 200, you know, 300,000 or whatever into the life insurance policies. Mm -hmm. And that's what you shouldn't be doing. So it depends on your jobs policy. If you're not paying any additional money into the insurance, no problem, keep it. But you have to see like, are you being charged any additional fee for the insurance? Otherwise, if your job offers it, great, but look at how much you need. Like what you have to think is what happens, God forbid, if I die? Like how much does my spouse and my kids need? So you have to think about like their college expenses, Plus, you know, how much you need to kind of get back on your feet and pay off. So usually they'll say like, you want to get three X your net worth. So let's say, um, you know, like you want to do um, uh, like, like certain amount that your um, spouse and everyone will be financially secure if something were to happen to you. So like term life insurance, like I have um, a certain amount of um, term life insurance under my name. So if something were to happen to me, my husband has enough money assets to put my kids through college, hire someone and pay off our home and things like that um, so that he's financially secure. So basically insurance is you're insuring things, right? Um, So there's actually a really um, good post that I posted on my Instagram page, which is um, the way I look at of personal finance is look at it from offense and defense. Okay. So you want to, there's two ways to um, like basically grow your net worth. One is you have to protect your net worth. And another way is you have to grow your net worth. So when it comes to protection, you have to do the term life insurance because if something happens to you, you're protected. Disability insurance, that if something you become disabled for some reason, which is unexpected, you know, you have that protecting you. Home, like home insurance, car insurance, umbrella insurance, if someone gets hurt in your property, things like that. So those are all things that are, if something were to happen, something catastrophic, it protects your net worth. And then, so that's the defense. The offense is where you're growing your accounts, tax advantaged accounts. Like you match your 401k, you do your HSA, you do your Roth IRA, you do your tax brokerage, like all of those things that are going to grow your net worth. When you follow both of those methods, that's how you protect and grow your wealth. Gotcha. Um, What, uh, for someone, can you explain the importance of signing up for a 401k when someone just starts working? Yeah. So first of all, when you start working, don't ignore all of the 401k emails, um, read all of them, um, get signed up, you know, open your, open it with the brokerage account that your job is associated with. Make sure, um, you know, what they always call is free money, that any money that your company is matching right off the bat, you want to make sure that you match that money because if you don't match it, then you lose that money, you know? So that's the first step you want to match. And then you want to see, um, before you max it, the max amount is usually 19,500. Um, you want to see that if you can um, uh, invest in the HSA account, because that has a triple tax advantage benefit. Um, one of the things I just want to explain for someone who may be very beginner with like 401ks and stuff is like, the reason why these tax advantage accounts are so important to know is when we think about taxes, we think, well, we're not paying that much taxes right now, right? Like, 
how much am I really saving while I can invest in real estate? But you have to think in the long term, right? Like in 40 years, if your money has grown to one or $2 million, imagine paying a certain percentage tax on that. We're talking hundreds and thousands of dollars. That's why these tax advantage accounts are so important. So January 1st, you want to make sure that you are matching your 401k or in, in, if you just joined a job, you want to match your 401k. You want to make sure that you contribute to HSA. If you're young and under a certain income limit, you want to make sure that you invest in a Roth IRA. So these are all tax advantaged accounts. Either you put in pre-tax money like in a 401k or you put in a post-tax money like a um, Roth IRA. It grows tax-free. And then you either, in like in a Roth IRA case, you don't pay tax at the end. So whatever you have in that account is a full amount that you have in your account. So, um, so yeah, so that's how you get started. You open up with a brokerage that your company is associated with, choose the index funds that you want. You put your money in there and you let it grow. Yeah. It's not how much money you make, it's how much money you keep, right? That's an important point to, to remember. What are, oh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. What are your thoughts on, um, it, it, some people find it a little salesy and a gimmicky. What are your thoughts on the, um, on uh, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Oh, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so what's funny is he's his book is one of the earlier books that I read when I was very very young, and honestly, I just didn't get it because in his book he doesn't yeah. explain how to do it. He just keeps talking about assets and liabilities. So I think the concept is fine, but I feel like he doesn't give any actionable steps. So he is he is right in a sense that you want assets and not liabilities. People think buying a car is a liability. Like I'm sorry, they think it's an asset. It's absolutely a liability. Um, You know, honestly, things like you know buying a car on um, lease. You know, it's not a good idea. You should probably buy a used car. Um, Things like um, you know even home purchases. You know, it's so interesting. Bengali people. This is something I come across very often, and I'm like I have to discuss this with them. They will say, okay, I'm going to take this property and I'm going to invest, you know, I'm going to take 200,000. I'm going to fix it up and I'm going to make money off of rent. I'm going to get tons of money in rent. But my thing is, listen, you have to make sure at the end of the day, the money is going into your account, right? If you're spending 200,000 to fix a home, first, you have to make enough money in rent to even make up that 200,000, right? And you have to make sure you're going to be able to sell the property or do a 1031 exchange where you are making more than the 200,000 you put in plus all the time and effort plus any property managers or whatnot that you may have to actually make a profit. So this is something that I see often, like it has to mathematically make sense to me. Like if you just think about it logically, like crypto, it's very young stock market has been proven, you know, um, using a calculator, understanding compound interest. Like when you do the math, it really makes a lot more sense than just yeah. saying, well, uncle over there said, you know, that house is doing so well and it's going to do so great. So let me just totally go and buy it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's so difficult, right? Because, you know, like you said, social media and they make it sound so easy. And as someone that owns a few homes, it's so, you have to deal with uh, tenant issues. And especially mm-hmm. in New York, it's so difficult to get rid of uh, a bad tenant. And even if you have a good tenant, there's things that always come up. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's, it's so it's difficult because I think for there's so much stuff out there. And like you said earlier, it's a really good point. Is mm-hmm. people are always just putting out their success stories um, mm-hmm. on social media. You know, really t- the, nobody really puts up a post about how you know how horrible, how much money they lost that year because they had a tenant that didn't pay for six months and they had to kick them out and to take you know hire lawyers. It's always really mostly the positive stuff, but it's also it is always struggle, and you know it's it's hardly spoken about. It's really important, but it's definitely none of it is easy, right? Even I mean, I, I mean, you know, even if someone wants to get into you know the finance index funds, like you said, you can pretty much buy it and leave it. 
mm-hmm. um, and that's great. So I think that's probably one of the few products so that's that's what right I say. Indexer is actually one of the easiest things. In yeah. fact, I made a post recently where I said, like, I can't even believe something like this exists. God bless John Bogle's soul, because I can't even believe something like this exists where we, the average investor, can actually invest in all of the market and actually get profits from it without having yeah. to do anything extra. As, as you've just said, buying a home, doing real estate requires a lot of work. Yes, there is money to be made, but you have to make sure you have everything right, right? Like you have your pro- um, uh, property managers, everything has to be automated. It makes sense. If you lose, like if you have, if you don't have tenants for two, three months, you're like hemorrhaging a lot of cash, you know, yeah. things like that. Index fund, you could be chilling, doing whatever you want. You mm-hmm. have your money working for you. Like there's yeah. nothing additional. So that's why when I discovered it, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> like I don't have to do anything because everything yeah. else I have to do a lot of work. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I think that's, you know, and one other, um, one other good point is um, I think we discussed is, um, you know, I want to mention that you don't have to hire a financial advisor. Um, just like how whole, fa- um, whole life insurance people take a percentage of the money, same thing with financial advisors. What they have is something called AUM. If you see AUM fees, you want to run really fast. Basically, it's assets under management. They're taking a certain percentage of your assets. And as I discussed before, if we're assuming we're getting 6% returns from the market and someone is already taking 2 to 3% of that amount, you're not going to make much against the inflation. You know. Yeah. So the advisors is not something that you need. However, let's say you're like, you know what? I have everything set up. I just want to make sure um, you can have someone who is what they call a fee-only fiduciary person who gives advice based on an hourly basis. So you just pay them for their knowledge and their advice. You don't need them to manage your assets for you. And this is why even if you are like, well, this Vanguard sounds really weird to me or like it it sounds hard or whatever, you can do it through some of these robo-advisors like Wealthfront, Betterment, Wahed Investing. Basically, they take a much smaller fee. So the fees, let's compare, like Vanguard is like 0.05% fee, which is very nominal. Things like Wealthfront and Betterment are 0.25%. And so you want to make sure that, sorry, point, is it 0.25%. Uh, and so it's a, it's a much smaller amount and they do all of the investing for you. And things like, um, what I'm actually more curious, like to be honest with you, and what I love is Wealthfront more than I love crypto. I think what Wealthfront and Betterment are doing is just so amazing. They have like automated tax loss harvesting. They like take care of everything for you. And in some ways, you know, again, it hasn't been proven yet. Wealthfront and Betterment are still newer companies is the returns in some ways have been greater than even Vanguard returns. So we have our assets under um, our investments under Wealthfront and under Vanguard. We do like a 50-50. Um, uh, if you talk to financial advisors that are really good, they'll say like they only trust Vanguard because it's been proving, right? Proven, right? Because it's been around for forty years. It's something proven and it works. So for me, like compared to like I've read the articles, I've heard so many interviews from Andy Ratcliffe, like the guy who found Wealthfront. He's really brilliant. He's the one who like he he wrote this article because you know I was really unsure about angel investing, and I was like, well, everyone's doing it. You know, I'm here in startup, and he's like, listen, most people are gonna lose money. Like I've been in this, he's a professor at Stanford. He created Wealthfront. And so, um, so these robo-advisors are really powerful and really amazing. And what these people have worked in the financial industry, like yourselves, um, uh, like John Stein, who founded Betterment and all this, like they saw like, wait a minute, these mutual fund managers aren't any better than, you know, the index fund than the performance of the market. So we can automate this. So that's what they did. That was their secret sauce. That was the insider knowledge that they knew. And so they turned it into an entire, you know, and now these companies like these robo-advisors have um, 
full on um, like billion dollars in assets. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know about much, but I do know about like, say, like I can do something like robo advising, Wealthfront and Betterment is a good place to start. But please remember and keep this in mind. You want to take care of other financial things before you start investing. Number one, you want to have emergency funds set up three to six months. Things may come up. You want to make sure all high interest credit card debt is paid off. Um, anything above 5%, you need to pay that off. In fact, you should not have credit card debt. It is horrible. If you think about compound interest, right? The way compound interest works. So for someone who may not know, so you have a base amount of money and basically you, you have a percentage of interest that's um, added to that. The compounding is you take that base amount plus the interest and it collects more interest. And then you take that base plus the interest plus the interest and connects, collects more interest. So when you think about credit cards, they have an interest of like 14 to 37%. Imagine that being compounded <laughs> and that's the money you're going to owe them. It's insane. Like you can buy something for like $100 and that'd be worth like $895 by the time you actually finish paying off all of your credit card debt. Such a trap, so, yeah. So yeah, so credit card debt, big no-no. You want to get rid of that ASAP. Do not even think about investing or crypto or anything until all of that credit card debt is paid off and you know, don't add it. The only thing the credit card should be used for is to build credit. So you have the credit um, and you build it and you pay off at the end of the month. Like no questions asked, like that should be completed. So after you have the emergency fund, high interest credit card debt is paid off, you start with your 401k match because that's free money. That's what your employer is, you know, paying you. After that, you see if your company offers HSA because that has a lot of tax benefits. Then you see if they have a Roth IRA. Um, if, and then if you're um, within a certain income range, you do Roth IRA. If you're higher income, like if you're a physician, you can do what they call a backdoor Roth IRA. So there's another way to um, basically invest in the Roth IRA. Um, after that, you do maximum of your 401k. Okay, the 19,000. After that, you go into the taxable. You do the Vanguard um, and the Wealthfront, like your own taxable brokerage where you're going to be taxed at the capital gains rate. Um, and you do that. So, so that's what I mean about finances. You have to go in order and you have to make sure that you're taking advantage of the full tax benefit. Remember, at the end, you have to think about what am I getting into my account? Crypto and everything might sound great, but you may not get more at the end. Or even investing sounds really sexy, but it's like, hold your horses. Take care of these things first, because when you pay off that credit card, you're going to get more net, like money amount back into your account or your savings than you are with investing. Because here, if you're hemorrhaging, you know, 14% and you're trying to collect 6%, it doesn't make sense, right? From the market. So you want to make sure you're getting rid of that before you start investing. And then the sky's your limit. You put in how much ever you earn, you live below your means, you know, don't go by life, you know, have lifestyle inflation, like for a lot of physicians, like right off the bat, they'll just buy a home right away, all of that. Um, you know, one thing is just remember that like everyone around you, like they don't, not everyone knows all this financial information. They mean well, you know, like my in-laws, for example, um, they're both medical doctors. They're part of the Bangladeshi army captains in the Bangladeshi army. Very smart, very amazing. Um, but, you know, I had to have a long discussion with my father-in-law about a whole life insurance because I'm like, Abu, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, look, they're charging you this many fees. And he really like 
pushed against it and I had to really push it back. And I'm like, look, and then at the end he realized, oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Like, so even if someone means well, even if it's your own, you know, father-in-law or dad or mom, like they may not know, you know, but we have all this information. So yeah. you, know, you can look it up, like look up, as I said, like Vanguard, John Bogle, NerdWallet has really great information. Um, of course, my Instagram page, <laughs> check that out. Um, you know, but you know, all of this is like really great resources. Um, but you know, and then, oh, there's also another community called the Bogleheads community um, after John Bogle and tons of really great information. Um, your mind will be blown when you go see that. And people are super helpful, super nice. Like everyone's really trying to help people get money and reach financial freedom. And actually that's what I want to do for the Bengali community too. Like, um, you know, we have some people that are great model role models in finances. Like of course, Dr. Um, Professor Yunus, um, who obviously changed micro lending and everything, but there isn't a whole lot of people like South Asian people that are talking about how we first generations can reach financial independence. And that's what I like want to do. And that's why I felt so compelled to say it because I want to evangelize like, Hey, you know what? It's possible for us too. And I know like we're in this, like what they call the sandwich generation, because we're struggling with, you know, helping our parents or helping our relatives back home while trying to grow our own wealth, while we have our kids that we're trying to create inter like generational wealth. So we're like really in this tough position, but we're also in this really exciting and great position, right? So even if you, let's say, are not able to reach your full financial goals because you have to help family and things like that, it's okay, but still acquire the knowledge because you can pass it on to your kids. For example, you can set up 529 for your kids' college funds, you know, and have that investing for them. You can set up Roth IRA. You can, that's basically any earned income at any age. So if your baby does modeling at age two, they can start a Roth IRA and that money will continue growing compounding. Imagine if you put in like, I think it's like a 5,500 at a certain age, like eight or 10, by the time they become like older, um, like around in their thirties or forties, it'll be like one to $2 million. You know, that's how compounding interest works. So even if you can't do it right now for like yourself or this generation, you can do it for the next generation. And so that's really what I, the main point that I wanted to get across is that, you know, other communities already have people talking about it. And I feel like in our communities, no one is. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say that we can do it too. Um, it's very possible. Just follow these rules that have been tried and true and statistically and historically have worked. It is not speculation. It is not unknown. These are tried and true methods that we can all work towards to achieve financial independence. So are you, uh, are you still practicing? Uh, I'm not practicing um, because right after I graduated medical school, I went into tech um, entre entrepreneurship. Okay. And then just recently, since we're very comfortable now financially, um, I have been, so what I'm doing is considering a couple of um, opportunities in fintech as well as healthcare startup techs. Um, right now. And, um, and I also talk about personal finance. Um, and then my little ones are still a little bit little right now. So um, my baby is eight months. Um, oh. So, so yeah, so I'm basically, I'm a tech entrepreneur. Like I didn't, I didn't go into further medical training after medical school. I went into tech entrepreneurship. Okay. That's cool. Um, yeah. I mean, so many great points you brought up. I think it's difficult for a lot of people because all the noise that you see, it's all the sexy stuff that you see. It's, it's all about making a quick buck. And what you're preaching is, you know, long-term compounded, um, you know, building of wealth. And it's, it's difficult for people to hear that. Right. Because mm -hmm. yeah. um, it's, it's because, and the other thing is, you know, you talked about like, for example, real estate, right. This is the first thing that come, came to mind. And this is a, 
this is an interesting comparison. If you think about the biggest uh, fear people have, it's uh, one of the biggest fears people have is is fear of flying. But more people die from a lot more people die from you know from driving, right? Yeah. But the problem is people would rather drive uh, state to state than fly because they have control, right? Because you have control when you're driving a car. You don't have any control when you're flying. So similar to that. Um, when you're, I think for a lot of people, when they're investing in the stock market, they have no control, right? You know, you buy an index fund and obviously you're just leaving it up to the hands of the managers at Vanguard. You don't really have any control over that where people, I think, have this mindset that when you buy that house, you have a lot more control, right? You can fix the porch or you can paint the house and you have a little bit more control. So I think that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of, you know, certainly our, you know, our parents' generation, a lot of people bought real estate and some of them have done really, really well. But I think, you know, there's, there's, there's uh, you know, concerns about that. But I think that control element of, you know, being able to like, actually control it or, you know, have no control when it's on, in the index market, I feel like it what draws them to, toward one, well, one versus I the think, other. Um, so it's, you can look at it anyway. Like in money and mindset is actually a big factor. Like, in fact, I used to think like, because I'm very much a practical thinker. When people told me these facts and when I learned it, I was quickly like, boom, boom, boom. I set up these accounts. It made sense to me. I went with it. Great. But I realized a lot of people have a lot of internal um, battles that they have regarding money and stuff, which is understandable, Mm -hmm. right? Like how we are raised. And then people, as you said, like they want to have control over certain things. So it's really about how you think about it. When I think about index funds, I personally think I have a lot of control over it. I've looked at it historically. I've literally pulled it up. Like you can do that. We have the internet right in front of us. Pull up the entire stock market. See how it has done. To me, I feel like I have a lot of control because I can literally see like, look, look at the Great Depression that happened. Look at 2008 that happened. But look, the market has completely gone back up. So for me, I have a lot of control over everything with the index fund. More than I have control with real estate, to be honest, because I'm like, I can't control tenants. You know, a lot of the time, sometimes I can't control the housing market. So it's really like the mindset and kind of like shifting sort of that mindset. And also, I think something interesting that you really mentioned, um, actually, I was discussing this with my husband about like the get rich quick schemes that I think like sometimes is a little bit um, discussed in our communities, you know, like, or even in Bangladesh, where it's like, hey, dude, you know, like, let's do this and let's all make tons of money. And sometimes, you know, maybe even in Bangladesh, you can kind of get away with it. I'm not sure. But in America, everything is very regulated. Like if you think you're going to get into some MLM scheme or whatever, like it's not going to end up well, you know? There is no get rich quick schemes. There is not. It is long term thinking, wealth growing, working hard. You know, that's the way to grow wealth. That's how most people do it. You know, as I said, if you read The Millionaire Next Door, that's how most millionaires in America have made their money. Of course, there's going to be exceptions like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. But remember, if you want to be those exceptions, you better have intergenerational wealth. You better have networks up the wazoo. You better have safety nets. Jeff Bezos' parents invested $200,000 off the bat in Amazon. Um, Elon Musk comes from like a super wealthy dad, um, you know, back in South Africa. Um, You also have to have product market fit. You have to have exponential growth of your startup. So if you have all of those things, okay, no problem. You, You do that and you'll be very successful. But I'm talking about the average, you and I, like, we're trying to grow a family. We're trying to, you know, have some freedom. We're trying to, you know, create wealth for the next generation. We don't want to be tied down to a job, uh, you know, a toxic job or a toxic boss. Maybe we want to take a longer, you know, vacation. Maybe we want to spend a year at Hajj, you know? Financial independence gives us that opportunity. It gives us yeah. that freedom to do what we really want to do. And we can do that, you and I, the average people, you know, and that's how it works. Yeah, I mean, listen, great points, um, and, th- and I think the message is is, is definitely uh, what people should hear is, is that is is about being responsible long term, 
and kind of just, you know, just, you know, weeding out some of the noise that's out there now, especially now with crypto and some of these other, um, you know, uh, short-term investments. But I appreciate you coming on. would love for you to come back on, talk about some of the other topics. Um, I guess we didn't get to touch on, but uh, still great. Yeah, there's great information. lots of topics. Um, you know, you you guys and whoever's listening can stay posted. Um, I post pretty regularly on my Instagram page. Um, I also do consulting on people that may need help with some, you know, one-on-one help. Um, very limited though, because I have two young kids and a yeah. lot of other additional responsibilities. But of course, I'm always love. You know, I love to help. Um, yeah, I just want to reach the Bengali community, tell them that it's possible. And, um, you know, I thought it was really interesting. I'm talking to you on the 21st of February, which is wow. International Mother Language Day. Yep. <laughs> so, which, um, you know, I think that, you know, our country is really great. And I think uh, I've been reflecting on the sacrifices other Bangladeshis have made, you know, so that we can preserve our language. And, um, you know, I think that I hope that we can teach our kids um, not only how beautiful our culture is, um, but also like how rich and like valuable it is. And so that's why I think that adding something like good finances and good financial education can only really add to our beautiful culture. You know, the, hospita- uh, the hospitality within our culture, the, the caring about people and things like that, that you don't see or until you're older, like you don't get to appreciate it, you know, and you take advantage of it until you're older. And, you know, you're like, wow, like my country really has something great even though mm-hmm. we have some crazy politics, <laughs> our country just has like really great, great things. And so I think that um, adding in this factor can really only help us help like elevate all of us because we can see even Bangladesh, like how hard it's working to move its, itself up, right? Like I think you guys recently posted that now Hyundai is going to start making parts in Bangladesh. So, you know, I think that we're all working really, really hard to move up. And I think that we can reach, you know, um, the financial status of other communities if we all keep working hard and we keep talking about it. And so I think, um, if, you know, whoever's listening to this is to, you know, do the research. Like you, you heard me talk, go look up John Bogle, look up Vanguard, read Nerd Wallet, get yourself informed, you know, um, understand all of this you know, allocate most of your funds and all of that to things that make sense, which, which I think is index funds. And then, you know, keep learning. And I think that, you know, you'll be able to reach that financial goals that you really want. Thank you. Great, great points. Talk to you soon.